This is Alex, and welcome to Cinema Joes, the, where three average Joes discuss the significant topics of movie culture. Today is a mini-episode, and I'm joined with Noah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about our favorite film that we saw recently, uh, which is 10 years old or more. Uh, on our anniversary episode, we talked about wanting to get older movies and discussions about older movies into our podcast more, and so we're kind of following up on that promise with today's mini-episode. So, uh, without further ado, Noah, why don't you tell us what movie you've seen recently that came out 10 years ago or more? First of all, tell us how far into the past you went with this election. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, my movie goes back uh, almost exactly 30 years into the past, uh, although it is a very timely pick. It is the movie that uh, I picked to finally finally, finally, finally get back into my film for the Trump years segment on my written blog, which we'll have a link for in the description. I was going to return to my film for the Trump year series with all the president's men, which would also qualify for this discussion because that came out pretty quickly after Nixon resigned. Anyway, I was going to watch that, but then the Oscars happened and Green Book won Best Picture and tables were flipped, and dogs were sacrificed to ball, and I had to change my plans. So, in the wake of the travesty that was the ending of this year's Academy Awards, I decided to go back to watch Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which was the film that many still consider to be Spike Lee's best and most influential film, and that was infamously almost completely overlooked by award shows at the time. Uh, Spike Lee was nominated for screenplay for the movie, but didn't win, and the movie was nominated for just about nothing else, as I recall. And Best Picture that year went to Driving Miss Daisy. So it was with very good reason that... Um, during the, on the interview circuit after the awards this year, Spike Lee said, whenever someone's being driven somewhere, I lose. So I decided, okay, this is my chance to go back and see the seminal classic uh, and look at how relevant it is for today in a uh, Trump-filled social, cultural, and political environment. And I loved it. I absolutely see why this film was so both beloved and controversial at the time. And I totally understand why the film has had the staying power that it is. It is a movie that is frighteningly prescient in so many ways to what's been going on the past few years, especially in regards to racial tensions uh, throughout the country with all of the events and protests that have been precipitated by actual videos and audio of black people being murdered really in, in cold blood um, in many cases, and completely without even the semblance of justification by police officers. And yet, when you go back and watch this movie from the late 80s, it's another, it's just more evidence for the fact that uh, the recent spate of killings that there have been in recent years, where there's been actual like direct video evidence, um, has only really been shocking and surprising for white people. If you're black or Hispanic or Native American or LGBTQ or a Muslim or any other type of religious minority, you already know that this stuff happens in America 
all the time. And it's white people that are actually being forced to uh, really confront this for the first time and do the right thing to an almost terrifying degree, perfectly encapsulate this moment over the course of a single two hour movie. Uh, have you seen the movie, Alex? Yes, I have seen the movie. Uh, I saw okay. it in 2015 for the first time. And what struck me most was how relevant it felt to our current moment. Uh, it felt like a movie that could have yeah. been made that week that I was watching it. Uh, and yeah, it feels it's very relevant for our times, uh, which is a sad thing, honestly, that we haven't progressed more as a society yeah. since then. But it is incredibly insightful about uh, these types of thorny struggles in trying to mm. reconcile uh, centuries old race relations in our very mixed up country. So yeah, I think and, yeah. and and on top of that, it just has like indelible characters that are just so well fleshed out and iconic. Every character. And it's yeah. funny and it's sexy and it's exciting and it just it has like everything. It's it's like a perfect mm -hmm. movie in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I'm a big fan. There, of there it. are a couple, there are a couple moments where there are a couple aspects of the film where you see it and you're like, oh my God, this is such an eighties movie. Like the fact that radio Raheem has this massive boom box and that's like the thing to have this massive boom box. And I think back like, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a different time. <laughs> so there, there are tiny moments like that. You're like, okay, yeah, this is the eighties or some of the fashion things, like some of the things well, people are yeah, wearing obviously. <laughs> where I'm like, oh wow. Wow. But, but the, the broad themes of the movie are just so, what, what I love is how every character is so incredibly shaded and nuanced. The whole debate that I think the movie is supposed to provoke is what is the right thing to do? Uh, what, it, you know, can can people be divided into easily categorized into good guys and bad guys? Is it easy to decide between what the right thing to do is and what the wrong thing to do is? I think the film overwhelmingly says, no, people aren't just cardboard cutouts. We all have shades. All of the characters in the movie do things that are uh, smart and kind and compassionate and tender and uh, helpful. And then like they'll turn around and do something that's stupid or immature or aggressive or blatantly or implicitly racist or bigoted in some way because we're all people and we have virtues and vices that commingle in us constantly you can't just separate into oh this person is all good and those people are all bad like it's impossible and this movie does such a good job of capturing that and i think that's what films that deal with race and racial tensions should aspire to and that's what i think most films in this area do try to do, I think only the very, very best actually pull it off in portraying that nuance without resorting to overgeneralization of one group or person or race or another. And I think this is one of those few movies that really almost, almost perfectly pulls off that balancing act. One other thing about the movie that I, I want to get on record, the more I think about it, the more that the, the subject of heat uh, because the the whole point of the movie is that it takes place over the course of a single day in the midst of this like staggering, crushing heat wave. And the heat itself, I think, is one of the best metaphors I've ever seen in a movie for just the fact of racial uh, divisions within a society in terms of politics, in terms of economics, in terms of culture, in terms of society, because it is something like, like the heat in the movie. It is all pervasive. It is everywhere at all times. And there is no escaping it. We all want to escape it. We wish that we could just, you know, the, the characters in the movie wish they could just, you know, close the door to the outside world and, you know, turn on an air conditioning 
and the heat wave is gone. But that's not how it works. It's not possible. And it's the same way with racial divisions and racial inequality and racial tension. It exists everywhere at all times and it influences and is a part of all aspects of our society, whether we want to or not, whether or not we we choose it, whether or not we uh, want to engage in it, it's there. Uh, just like the heat in this movie is everywhere. the char- All the characters are sweating all the time in every frame because there's just heat everywhere. Yeah, it's a very elegant metaphor. And it also is a great way to... It, and it's not hammered well, in. It's never well, hammered in. It's just it's but there. But what's also nice about it is that it's a great uh, actual uh, plot device as well to try to push characters outside yeah. of their comfort zone. It answers the question, why is this day more significant than any other day in the it's because when you are physically uncomfortable, when you feel the stress of the environment, it really does push you to kind of act in ways that you maybe would have not. It makes you slightly more susceptible to things that you maybe would have let go. And it pushes people to the limit in a way that is similar mm. to when these types of social tensions finally bubble over to a point where they can't be denied anymore. So yeah, it's a great, it's a great metaphor yeah. and it's a great plot mechanism to really get things going in the story and bring them to where Lee wants them to go. So yeah, I think that's a great choice. Yeah. And my my article on this is already up in my blog. So please read it, comment. If my take on the movie is totally wrong, tell me. Uh, but I have to say I'm I'm finally giving Spike Lee his due and getting into his filmography, which just for time reasons I, I wasn't able to do before. After seeing this movie, Malcolm X and 25th Hour are very, very, very high on my um, to-see list of older, not-as-recent movies. So hopefully soon I'll be able to talk about those movies too. You'll become our senior Spike Lee expert uh, in (laughs) a few months' time. Um, And – Sounds like a Daily Show title, <laughs> Senior Spike Lee Correspondent. Yeah, I think you might be Junior Spike Lee Correspondent. I don't know if you have the chops to be Senior. Um, <laughs> we'll have to get someone else to come in for that position. That's fair. Uh, but yeah, and uh, if you do want to reach out to Noah, you can uh, talk to us on Twitter at Cinema Joes, or we are now on Anchor, so you can listen to this episode on that app. And then they actually have a cool feature where you can send us voicemails and we can uh, hear what you think. So if you want to give us feedback that way, too, that would be great. Lately, I've been following along with the Blank Check podcast, which, as many of our listeners know, is one of my favorite film podcasts. They pick one special director and see all of his films over the course of several months and the director that they've been doing over the last few months is Tim Burton and he's a filmmaker whose films I had not seen that much of because I think I was a little too young to appreciate his early work and uh, by the time that I got really into film he was kind of making more kind of studio sellout kind of hacky kind of past his prime stuff for the most part um so I've kind of I kind of missed his peak and Doing this retrospective has given me an opportunity to see all of his films. And the one that stood out to me the most that I want to talk about today is a movie called Ed Wood from 1994. Noah, have you seen Ed Wood? I have not. That is one oh, of the... Oh, you would love it. Uh, that, is, that is one of the Tim Burton classics I've not yet seen. Yeah, so this movie came to me with a lot of hype because it's one of those where it's like, 
regardless of what you think of Tim Burton, Ed Wood is his best movie. That's what people say all the time. A lot of people just, I, that's all I've heard about Ed Wood is like, oh, it's great. And when you get kind of primed for that, it can sometimes set up a little bit of disappointment. And I'm very excited to say that it, it more than exceeded my expectations. This movie is fantastic. For those of you who don't know, it's a movie about, uh, the, the director from the 1950s, Ed Wood, he's most famous for making a film called Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is widely considered one of the worst films of all time, um, and has kind of gotten a cult status as a result and lived on an in infamy. And this movie is about Ed Wood and about his struggle kind of coming up in entertainment at that time, trying to make it believing in himself, even though uh, most people thought that he was not talented. <laughs> uh, eventually, it gets into the filming of the film Plan 9 for Out of Space, which I've never seen. If you have, I think you would like those segments even more. Um, it also stars Johnny Depp as as Ed Wood, and he's really, he's really fantastic in it. He's an actor who I kind of run hot and cold on. Obviously, he has his personal stuff, which is not great, um, and one of the reasons why I don't see a lot of movies that he makes now. But even if you're considering his past work, I think that he can sometimes give a little bit too big, broad, mannered performance. Uh, he seems to sometimes care too much about creating a character and less about servicing the film. But in this case, he finds the perfect balance because his portrayal of Ed Wood is so sincere and earnest and just genuine and peppy and just lovable. And it's just so hard not to root for this guy. And a big part of the movie is his bizarre friendship with famed actor uh, Bela Lugosi, who, of course, is famous for playing Dracula in the famous Universal Monster movies. And you find out over the course of the movie that Ed Wood became friends with him uh, when Bella Lugosi was towards the end of his life and a uh, heroin addict. And Bella kind of helped really Ed, helped Ed get his foot in the door. And it's a re and it's just a really interesting story. And Martin, Land Martin Landau is unbelievable in this character. Like he is so much Bella Lugosi, which is crazy because Martin Landau looks nothing like Bella Lugosi in real life and sounds nothing like him in real life. And he really just, I mean, he won an Oscar for the role. He actually beat out Samuel Jackson's Pulp Fiction performance for Best Supporting Actor that year. And I kind of, I mean, I've seen both films. I love both films. I kind of think that he deserves it. He's really unbelievable in this movie. Um, but the heart of the film is Johnny Depp's Edward character. And it's just, he's just so sweet and so earnest, as I said. And he just loves movies so much. And he has this faith in himself that should make him seem kind of silly and they just get the tone just right that you can find him a little bit ridiculous at times, but still kind of love him anyway. Uh, the movies never feels like it's mocking him, never making him the butt of the joke. He's also a crossdresser and possibly a trans person in a world before that type of language really existed. And that's a surprisingly significant part of the film, surprising to me, because I didn't realize that at all. I did not know this was an LGBT film going into it. That's not really part of its reputation, at least the reputation that I've gotten. And it really handles that stuff very delicately and 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 sweetly, just like everything else in the movie, um, which I was worried about when I realized they were going there because, you know, 1994 is not the most liberated time for these types of subjects. We're not that far away from a movie like The Crying Game, where someone's transgender identity was used as this horrifying reveal. And 
yeah, it just it just does a good job. It does a good job with everything. Sarah Jessica Parker is in it as an early love interest, and she's very, very funny. And Patricia Arquette comes later as another love interest, and she's great. So, yeah, it just it's an excellent movie, and I recommend everyone go out and see it. If you love movies, you should see this film. It's far and away Tim Burton's best movie, in my opinion. I was not a huge fan of some of his early like late 80s, early 90s works um, that are considered classics. And as his career progresses, his quality definitely diminishes. And I think this is really the height of what he was capable of doing. So yeah, really strong recommend on Ed Wood. Yeah, no, that's one I definitely have to see. That is one of the many, many, many highly and repeatedly recommended movies to me that I just have not been able to see because... I only have one life. I can only see so many movies. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to see everything, uh, but I think you should give it a try. I think you would really like it. It also, I should say, is kind of told in a slightly heightened, slightly stylized way um, that kind of apes the spirit of films from that era uh, in a way that sounds like a terrible idea. Like it's in black and white and it has this kind of like arch presentation in some ways. And you think, oh God, this is going to be a disaster. And it just it works <laughs> perfectly. Like Bill Murray is in this in a supporting role and he gets so many like excellent one-liners uh, that would make you laugh out loud. But he also like in the background gets to have like a very sweet kind of character who you kind of care about also. Like there's just, there's just so, it's just a group of people in this movie who just love film and they just want to put on a show and be weirdos together and mm. you just want to like hug them. It's just great. So yeah, that's what we've been watching lately. Uh, I know it's not news, but there's good movies that are out there that didn't come out in the last six months. So try seeing them and uh, letting us know what you think and giving us some suggestions on other older movies that you want us to talk about next time because we are going to do this as a semi-regular mini episode so we can keep checking in on older films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a mini episode of Cinema Joe's, where we discuss the less significant topics in movie culture. I am Justin, here with Alex and Noah, and today we'll be discussing some of our favorite scary movie moments. These are the moments that terrified us in some way. Um, they don't have to be, strictly speaking, from a horror film, but I think the one criterion is just that they scared the pants off of us. So I think that's that's what we're looking for here. So with that in mind, uh, Noah, why don't you start us off? Well, I am not a horror aficionado like at all. So I had to really, really do a lot of digging. I, I tried to look at moments where I genuinely felt scared and not just like suspenseful or like thrilled in the sense of like, oh my God, this is a really intense scene. I'm not that much of like a scare person. So I went through, I sat down with my wife and I was like, come here, help me. I have to figure out some <laughs> sort of answer for this. Went through all my past top 10 lists and I'm like, wow, none of these are like, none of these movies work. I mean, even an example like Get Out, I went into it knowing it was a horror movie and expecting it to be a horror movie. So I, I didn't respond to the, the way that I think like uh, you're supposed to typically respond to a horror movie. I just react differently to that sort of movies. So I tried to pick up of a noticeable moment in recent years where I genuinely felt like I, I felt a real genuine fear uh, for the characters because I truly could not suss out what was happening in the moment and what was going on. And the sequence that stood out to my mind, and it's a movie that you were both very familiar with, 
Alex, I think, was the first one ever to mention it on the podcast. The movie is Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart. And spoiler alert now for Personal Shopper. So Kristen Stewart is working for, like, I guess it's an actress? Yes. Like some uh, a high-end so. actress slash... She's like a socialite. Yeah, like a high-end actress slash model slash fashion person, whatever, in upper-class Europe. And... At the same time, she's there's this subplot where like she her brother has passed away, and we find out that she and her brother were obsessed with like the occult and the supernatural and contacting the dead. And there's been this running thing in the movie where she gets these she's getting these messages that claim to be from her brother, but we've ne- that's never really gone anywhere. But then in, halfway through the movie, it takes an incredible turn, and here's where the spoiler alert comes in. She goes into the super fancy apartment where her employer lives. Uh, because she has a key to, to come and go as she needs with all the many clothes that she buys because she's a personal shopper, hence the title. And she finds out that her boss has been pretty brutally murdered and there's someone still in the apartment. So she flees, but as she's fleeing and heading back to her apartment and then when she gets into her apartment, she starts getting these messages that, again, she's assumed up till now are from her brother. But the messages become more and more penetrating and more and more stalkerish. And it's become like it becomes screamingly obvious that it's not her brother. It's someone, anyone like at that point in the movie, we have literally no idea who or what or why. And this whole sequence of her going into her employee's apartment all the way up to the resolution of the scene in her apartment was one of the most consistently tense and gripping and engaging moments of any film that I've seen of the past few years. And not only that, like not only was it tense and gripping and like, do it, did I appreciate it from a filmmaking standpoint? I was genuinely scared the entire time because I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like the whole film has just been flipped on its head. I have no idea what's going on and what's going to happen to her and to the other characters and who's what. That, that was one of those rare moments where looking back, like I was feeling a genuine sense of terror. Which even in a lot of like quote unquote horror movies, even really good horror movies like Hereditary or The Babadook, I wouldn't necessarily say that in the moment of experiencing the movie, I feel terror. I would actually say that I'm less likely to feel that if I know it's a horror movie because then like my psyche is sort of prepped for it. Whereas if the movie is not explicitly a horror movie and then suddenly like this come out of nowhere sequence comes in like that, it's going to have a bigger effect on because I wasn't because I'm not prepared for it. Yeah, texts from a murderous ghost is a really good idea that should come up more often in movies. <laughs> this is very effective. But, like, done well. <laughs> and her fear is so palpable in that sequence, but yet it's not, like, it doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface, Like it's it's, but it's still palpable, which I think is a real <clears> credit <throat> to the kind of actor that Kristen Stewart is it's very internal but still very palpable and yeah I think her being at the center of that scene really adds a lot Alex let's go to you for your scary movie moment okay so my scary movie moment also happens in a weird European set art film (laughs) this is in a movie from 2013 uh, by Jonathan Glazer called Under the Skin starring Scarlett Johansson (laughs) as like an alien, I guess, who's come down to earth under the, in the guise of a very attractive woman to, uh, seduce men into becoming abducted, I guess. That's the part where it gets kind of crazy and weird. And that's the scene that I'm yeah. thinking of, which is just so crazy effective for me. She is Scarlett Johansson. She's dressed like 
Scarlett Johansson looks like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she has like an alien living underneath her skin that like you can't see, um, in the beginning of the movie. And she's just driving around in a truck trying to pick up guys. And like, it's very nefarious and kind of like, what is going on? And then finally she like gets one of them to go home with her and she has them walk into her apartment and her part, like her apartment is just now it's basically like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. It just like doesn't conform to space or time in any way. And, uh, it's just like this giant, like black space with like a water, like with water on yeah. the floor that, and the man is just totally naked and she's standing there and he starts walking up to her and he just starts in like this trance and just descends into the water. And it's so bizarre and so overwhelming to the senses. You're just, just like, it's so shocking because number one, you're just not used to seeing nudity used like that in a film. And it's, there's like mm. no emotionality to it, but it's so hypnotic and confusing. And just like, it just got under, like literally it got under my skin. I uh, know pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like, I've never been able to shake the feeling that I felt in that moment. Mm. I don't know if it's properly scared, but it's something even deeper than scared. It was just mm-hmm. incredibly disconcerting. And yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely the most yeah. off put I've been from a movie. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That was, that was one of the ones I was thinking of. I was mm. un, under the skin was like, was up there in the films that I was like, ah, I could take something from that. Yeah. There's something about the surrender in that scene. Just like this inevitability of approaching mm. your doom with nothing to prevent you. And just he's descending yeah. into nothingness. And I love his eyes never leave her, though. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> even as he's just submerged, like, you yeah. can still see his eyes poking out before his head goes under. It's just like this yeah, moment of just really... like intense, like, vulnerability and just infatuation and just all consuming. And it just has this overbearing Literally. feeling of evilness <laughs> to it. Like the score is just so mm-hmm. ominous and it just, yeah, it's, it's just a sensory experience that I've never been able to shake. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, yeah that's a great, a great one. one. <laughs> okay. Well, surprise, surprise. We all picked different films. <laughs> the one that I'm going to go with is from the 2011 film, Take Shelter. 2011, I think, was a really especially strong year for cinema. Um, This was and this was definitely, you know, among them. The film is kind of about uh, it's about this man who seems to be suffering, at least at the onset of some kind of mental illness, perhaps schizophrenia. It's not quite spelled out. But it's about more, I think it's about even more than that in terms of like his responsibilities that he feels as a man, his responsibilities to his family and all the anxieties that come with those things. It's all kind of mixed together in this, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like a family drama, sometimes a thriller, but it definitely has moments that I would say where it goes into full on horror. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in these dream sequences that our main character, Curtis, who's played by Michael Shannon, is having throughout the movie. Uh, the one in particular that I want to spotlight, it's one of the later dream sequences in the film in which he and his daughter are in a truck. He's driving along and there's and it's just raining. It's pouring to the point where the windows are totally opaque and the windshield wipers seem to be doing almost nothing. 
So they're driving through just like almost this white void. And all of a sudden we see a figure in the road. We see him swerve to avoid it, a crash. There's a brief cut to black. Mm-hmm. And then we see the two of them. We see this father and his daughter in this truck in that kind of weird space you are after a traumatic event. And all of a sudden we have people's hands just rocket through the windows and start grabbing both of them. Oh, God. Wow. So you see, like, these hands grab his daughter and start to pull her out of the window. These other hands grab him and are kind of, he's kind of struggling. And as this is happening, you see him start to wake up. And what I think is interesting is you see a lot of these kinds of scenes where you get this, this nightmare that kind of climaxes and then you get the wake up as a release from that. But that's not what Jeff Nichols and his editors do in this scene. What they do is they actually splice together the scene of him attempting fighting to wake up and mm-hmm. him still in the dream wrestling with this figure. Interesting. Cutting those scenes together. And really what it does is it prolongs the dream and it almost starts to seem like the dream is spilling out into mm-hmm. the reality that the film has established. And that for me is really unsettling mm-hmm. because – on the one hand, it's very relatable. I think we've had that where like when we have a nightmare and we're struggling to wake up from it. So it, it captures that very effectively through the editing. But it also works re- very much for the film in which these kind of like abstract horrors are just haunting this man. And even like even in even in the what should be the release of waking up, he can't totally free himself. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to feel like these worlds are colliding. And, and that's really terrifying. So for a film that I don't, know if I would say is a horror film. I think it definitely has scenes that absolutely would fit that bill. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying before, Noah, about how you are you feel like you might be – like if you go into a horror movie, you kind of feel like you're primed for that. Mm-hmm. I think especially in films that are not strictly horror, when they do give into that impulse, they stand out that much more. So I think that there's definitely something to say. I mean, when I was thinking of moments for this list, I thought of a bunch of moments that weren't even from horror movies, but were from like thrillers or things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Yeah, no, I tend to find that stuff way more terrifying. Yeah. So uh, that's my moment. Yeah, it's a good one. Still terrified thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to quick give an honorable mention to a scene from Annihilation. I didn't want to go into Mm. depth about it because I just feel like it's a movie that not enough people have seen yet. And this would kind of be a spoiler, but all I'm going to say is there's a scene involving a bear and a woman's scream and it just, it's terrifying and chilling and just deeply disturbing. Uh, (laughs) If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whoever thought that up, it's just, that's, I don't want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> Fair enough. That was one of those things where when it happened, I was like, I don't ever want to see that again. No. It's and yet <laughs> I did. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a mini episode of Cinema Joe's, where we discuss the less significant topics in movie culture. I am Justin, here with Alex and Noah, and today we'll be discussing some of our favorite scary movie moments. These are the moments that terrified us in some way. Um, They don't have to be, strictly speaking, from a horror film, but 
I think the one criterion is just that they scared the pants off of us. So I think that's that's what we're looking for here. So with that in mind, uh, Noah, why don't you start us off? Well, I am not a horror aficionado like at all. So I had to really, really do a lot of digging. I, I tried to look at moments where I genuinely felt scared and not just like suspenseful or like thrilled in the sense of like, oh my God, this is a really intense scene. I'm not that much of like a scare person. So I went through, I sat down with my wife and I was like, come here, help me. I have to figure out some <laughs> sort of answer for this. Went through all my past top 10 lists and I'm like, wow, none of these are like, none of these movies work. I mean, even an example like Get Out, I went into it knowing it was a horror movie and expecting it to be a horror movie. So I, I didn't respond to the, the way that I think like uh, you're supposed to typically respond to a horror movie. I just react differently to that sort of movies. So I tried to pick up of a noticeable moment in recent years where I genuinely felt like I, I felt a real genuine fear uh, for the characters because I truly could not suss out what was happening in the moment and what was going on. And the sequence that stood out to my mind, and it's a movie that you were both very familiar with. Alex, I think, was the first one ever to mention it on the podcast. The movie is Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart. And spoiler alert now for Personal Shopper. So Kristen Stewart is working for, like, I guess it's an actress? Yes. Like some uh, a high-end so. actress slash... She's like a socialite. Yeah, like a high-end actress slash model slash fashion person, whatever, in upper-class Europe. And... At the same time, she's there's this subplot where like she her brother has passed away, and we find out that she and her brother were obsessed with like the occult and the supernatural and contacting the dead. And there's been this running thing in the movie where she gets these she's getting these messages that claim to be from her brother, but we've net that's never really gone anywhere. But then in, halfway through the movie, it takes an incredible turn, and here's where the spoiler alert comes in. She goes into the super fancy apartment where her employer lives. Uh, because she has a key to, to come and go as she needs with all the many clothes that she buys because she's a personal shopper, hence the title. And she finds out that her boss has been pretty brutally murdered and there's someone still in the apartment. So she flees, but as she's fleeing and heading back to her apartment and then when she gets into her apartment, she starts getting these messages that, again, she's assumed up till now are from her brother, but the messages become more and more penetrating and more and more stalkerish. And it's become like it becomes screamingly obvious that it's not her brother. It's someone, anyone like at that point in the movie, we have literally no idea who or what or why. And this whole sequence of her going into her employee's apartment all the way up to the resolution of the scene in her apartment was one of the most consistently tense and gripping and engaging moments of any film that I've seen over the past few years. And not only that, like not only was it tense and gripping and like, do it, did I appreciate it from a filmmaking standpoint? I was genuinely scared the entire time. Cause I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck? Like the whole film has just been flipped on its head. I have no idea what's going on and what's going to happen to her and to the other characters and who's what that, that was one of those rare moments where looking back, like I was feeling a genuine sense of terror which even in a lot of like quote unquote horror movies, even really good horror movies like Hereditary or The Babadook, I wouldn't necessarily say that in the moment of experience in the movie, I feel terror. I would actually say that I'm less likely to feel that if I know it's a horror movie, because then like my psyche is sort of prepped for it. Whereas if the movie is not explicitly a horror movie, and then suddenly like this come out of nowhere sequence comes in like that, it's going to have a bigger effect on me because I wasn't 
because I'm not prepared for it. Yeah, texts from a murderous ghost is a really good idea that should come up more often in movies. <laughs> this is very effective. But, like, done well. <laughs> and her fear is so palpable in that sequence, but yet it's not like it doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface. Like it's it's, But it's still palpable, which I think is a real mm. credit to the kind of actor that Kristen Stewart is it's very internal but still very palpable and yeah I think her being at the center of that scene really adds a lot Alex let's go to you for your scary movie moment okay so my scary movie moment also happens in a weird European set art film (laughs) this is in a movie from 2013 uh, by Jonathan Glazer called Under the Skin starring Scarlett Johansson (laughs) as Like an alien, I guess, who's come down to Earth under the, in the guise of a very attractive woman to, uh, seduce men into becoming abducted, I guess. That's the part where it gets kind of crazy and weird. And that's the scene that I'm thinking of, which is just so crazy effective for me. She is Scarlett Johansson. She's dressed like Scarlett Johansson looks like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she has like an alien living underneath her skin that like you can't see, um, in the beginning of the movie. And she's just driving around in a truck trying to pick up guys. And like, it's very nefarious and kind of like, what is going on? And then finally she like gets one of them to go home with her and she has them walk into her apartment and her part, like her apartment is just now it's basically like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, which is like, doesn't conform to space or time in any way. And uh, it's just like this giant, like black space with like a water, like with water on the floor that, and the man is just totally naked and she's standing there and he starts walking up to her and he just starts in like this trance and just descends into the water. And it's so bizarre and so overwhelming to the senses. You're just, just like, it's so shocking because number one, you're just not used to seeing nudity used like that in a film. And it's, there's like no emotionality to it, but it's so hypnotic and confusing. And just like, it just got under, like literally it got under my skin. I uh, know pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like, I've never been able to shake the feeling that I felt in that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's properly scared, but it's something even deeper than scared. It was just mm-hmm. incredibly disconcerting. And yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely the most yeah. off put I've been from a movie. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That was, that was one of the ones I was thinking of. I was mm. un- under the skin was like, was up there in the films that I was like, ah, I could take something from that. Yeah. There's something about the surrender in that scene. Just like this inevitability of approaching mm. your doom with nothing to prevent you. And just he's descending yeah. into nothingness. And I love his eyes never leave her, though. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> even as he's just submerged, like, you yeah. can still see his eyes poking out before his head goes under. It's just like this yeah, moment of just, really... like, intense, like, vulnerability and just infatuation and just all-consuming and it just has this overbearing Literally. feeling of evilness <laughs> to it. Like the score is just so mm-hmm. ominous and it just, yeah, it's, it's just a sensory experience that I've never been able to shake. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, yeah a that's a great one. one. <laughs> okay. Well, surprise, surprise. We all picked different films. <laughs> 
The one that I'm going to go with is from the 2011 film Take Shelter. 2011, I think, was a really especially strong year for cinema. Um, this was, and this was definitely, you know, among them. The film is kind of about, uh, it's about this man who seems to be suffering, or at least at the onset of some kind of mental illness, perhaps schizophrenia. It's not quite spelled out, but it's about more, I think it's about even more than that in terms of like his responsibilities that he feels as a man, his responsibilities to his family and all the anxieties that come with those things. It's all kind of mixed together in this, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like a family drama, sometimes a thriller, but it definitely has moments that I would say where it goes into full-on horror, mm-hmm. um, especially in these dream sequences that our main character, Curtis, who's played by Michael Shannon, is having throughout the movie. Uh, the one in particular that I want to spotlight, it's one of the later dream sequences in the film in which he and his daughter are in a truck. He's driving along and there's and it's just raining. It's pouring to the point where the windows are totally opaque and the windshield wipers seem to be doing almost nothing. So they're driving through just like almost this white void. And all of a sudden we see a figure in the road. We see him swerve to avoid it, a crash. There's a brief cut to black. Mm-hmm. And then we see the two of them. We see this father and his daughter in this truck in that kind of weird space you are after a traumatic event. And all of a sudden, we have people's hands just rocket through the windows and start grabbing both of them. Oh, God. Wow. So you see, like, these hands grab his daughter and start to pull her out of the window. These other hands grab him and are kind of, he's kind of struggling. And as this is happening, you see him start to wake up. And what I think is interesting is you see a lot of these kinds of scenes where you get this this nightmare that kind of climaxes and then you get the wake up as a release from that. But that's not what Jeff Nichols and his editors do in this scene. What they do is they actually splice together the scene of him attempting fighting to wake up and mm-hmm. him still in the dream wrestling with this figure. Cutting those scenes together. And really what it does is it prolongs the dream and it's almost starts to seem like the dream is spilling out into mm-hmm. the reality that the film has established. And that for me is really unsettling mm-hmm. because on the one hand, it's very relatable. I think we've had that where like when we have a nightmare and we're struggling to wake up from it. So it, it captures that very effectively through the editing. But it also works re- very much for the film in which these kind of like abstract horrors are just haunting this man. And even like even in even in the what should be the release of waking up, he can't totally free himself. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to feel like these worlds are colliding. And, and that's really terrifying. So for a film that I don't know if I would say is a horror film, I think it definitely has scenes that absolutely would fit that bill. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying before, Noah, about how you're, you feel like you might be – like if you go into a horror movie, you kind of feel like you're primed for that. Mm-hmm. I think especially in films that are not strictly horror, when they do give in to that impulse, they stand out that much more. So I think that there's definitely something to say. I mean, when I was thinking of moments for this list, I thought of a bunch of moments that weren't even from horror movies but were from like thrillers. Or things mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah, no, I tend to find that stuff way more terrifying. Yeah. So uh, that's my moment. Yeah, and that's a good I'm one. still terrified thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to quick give an honorable mention to a scene from Annihilation. I didn't want to 
go into mm. depth about it because I just feel like it's a movie that not enough people have seen yet. And this would kind of be a spoiler, but all I'm going to say is there's a scene involving a bear and a woman's scream and it just, it terrifying and chilling and just deeply yeah. disturbing. Uh, <laughs> if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whoever thought that up, yes, it's just, indeed. that's, I don't want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. That was one of those things where when it happened, I was like, I don't ever want to see that again. No. It's... And yet I did. <laughs> yeah. Everyone and welcome to a mini episode of Cinema Joe's, where we discuss the less significant topics in movie culture. I am Justin here with Alex and Noah, and today we'll be discussing some of our favorite scary movie moments. These are the moments that terrified us in some way. Um, they don't have to be strictly speaking from a horror film, but. I think the one criterion is just that they scared the pants off of us. So I think that's that's what we're looking for here. So with that in mind, uh, Noah, why don't you start us off? Well, I am not a horror aficionado like at all. So I had to really, really do a lot of digging. I, I tried to look at moments where I genuinely felt scared and not just like suspenseful or like thrilled in the sense of like, oh my God, this is a really intense scene. I'm not that much of like a scare person. So I went through, I sat down with my wife and I was like, come here, help me. I have to figure out some sort of answer for this. Went through all my past top 10 lists and I'm like, wow, none of these are like, none of these movies work. I mean, even an example like Get Out, I went into it knowing it was a horror movie and expecting it to be a horror movie. So I I didn't respond to the the way that I think like uh, you're supposed to typically respond to a horror movie. I just react differently to that sort of movies. So I tried to pick up of a noticeable moment in recent years where I genuinely felt like I I felt a real genuine fear uh, for the characters because I truly could not suss out what was happening in the moment and what was going on. And the sequence that stood out to my mind, and it's a movie that you were both very familiar with. Alex, I think, was the first one ever to mention it on the podcast. The movie is Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart. And spoiler alert now for Personal Shopper. So Kristen Stewart is working for, like, I guess it's an actress? Yes. Like some uh, a high-end so. actress slash... She's like a socialite. Yeah, like a high-end actress slash model slash fashion person, whatever, in upper-class Europe. And... At the same time, she's there's this subplot where like she her brother has passed away, and we find out that she and her brother were obsessed with like the occult and the supernatural and contacting the dead. And there's been this running thing in the movie where she gets these she's getting these messages that claim to be from her brother, but we've net that's never really gone anywhere. But then halfway through the movie, it takes an incredible turn, and here's where the spoiler alert comes in. She goes into the super fancy apartment where her employer lives. Uh, because she has a key to, to come and go as she needs with all the many clothes that she buys because she's a personal shopper. That's the title. And she finds out that her boss has been pretty brutally murdered and there's someone still in the apartment. So she flees. But as she's fleeing and heading back to her apartment and then when she gets into her apartment, she starts getting these messages that, again, she's assumed up till now are from her brother. But the messages become more and more penetrating and more and more stalkerish. 
and it's become like it becomes screamingly obvious that it's not her brother. It's someone, anyone like at that point in the movie, we have literally no idea who or what or why. And this whole sequence of her going into her employee's apartment all the way up to the resolution of the scene in her apartment was one of the most consistently tense and gripping and engaging moments of any film that I've seen of the past few years. And not only that, like not only was it tense and gripping and like, do it did I appreciate it from a filmmaking standpoint, I was genuinely scared the entire time because I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like the whole film has just been flipped on its head. I have no idea what's going on and what's going to happen to her and to the other characters and who's what. That, that was one of those rare moments where looking back, like I was feeling a genuine sense of terror. Which even in a lot of like quote unquote horror movies, even really good horror movies like Hereditary or The Babadook, I wouldn't necessarily say that in the moment of experiencing the movie, I feel terror. I would actually say that I'm less likely to feel that if I know it's a horror movie because then like my psyche is sort of prepped for it. Whereas if the movie is not explicitly a horror movie and then suddenly like this come out of nowhere sequence comes in like that, it's going to have a bigger effect on me because I wasn't because I'm not prepared for it. Yeah, texts from a murderous ghost is a really good idea that should come up more often in movies. <laughs> this is very effective. But, like, done well. <laughs> and her fear is so palpable in that sequence, but yet it's not, like, it doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface, Like it's it's, but it's still palpable, which I think is a real mm. credit to the kind of actor that Kristen Stewart is it's very internal but still very palpable and yeah I think her being at the center of that scene really adds a lot Alex let's go to you for your scary movie moment okay so my scary movie moment also happens in a weird European set art film <laughs> this is in a movie from 2013 uh, by Jonathan Glazer called Under the Skin starring Scarlett Johansson <laughs> All right, as yeah. Like an alien, I guess, who's come down to Earth under the in the guise of a very attractive woman to uh, seduce men into becoming abducted. I guess that's the part where it gets kind of crazy and weird, and that's the scene that I'm yeah. thinking of, which is just so crazy effective for me. She is Scarlett Johansson. She's dressed like. Scarlett Johansson looks like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she has like an alien living underneath her skin that like you can't see um, in the beginning of the movie. And she's just driving around in a truck trying to pick up guys. And like, it's very nefarious and kind of like, what is going on? And then finally she like gets one of them to go home with her and she has them walk into her apartment and her part, like her apartment is just now it's basically like the TARDIS from Doctor Who, which is like, doesn't conform to space or time in any way. And uh, it's just like this giant, like black space with like a water, like with water on yeah. the floor that, and the man is just totally naked and she's standing there and he starts walking up to her and he just starts in like this trance and just descends into the water. And it's so bizarre and so overwhelming to the senses. You're just, just like, it's so shocking because number one, you're just not used to seeing nudity used like that in a film. And it's, there's like no emotionality to it, but it's so hypnotic and confusing. And just like, it just got under, like literally it got under my skin. I uh, know pun intended. Uh <laughs> and it's, it's literally like, I've never been able to shake the feeling that I felt in that moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know 
if it's properly scared, but it's something even deeper than scared. It was just mm -hmm. incredibly disconcerting. And yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely the most yeah. off put I've been from a movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I feel you. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That was, that was one of the ones I was thinking of. I was mm -hmm. un under the skin was like, was up there in the films that I was like, ah, I could take something from that. Yeah, there's something about the surrender in that scene. Just like this inevitability of approaching mm. your doom with nothing to prevent you. And just he's descending yeah. into nothingness. And I love his eyes never leave her, though. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> even as he's just submerged, like, you yeah. can still see his eyes poking out before his head goes under. It's just like this yeah, moment of just really... like intense, like vulnerability and just infatuation and just all consuming. And it just has this overbearing Literally. feeling of evilness <laughs> to it. Like the score is just so mm -hmm. ominous and it just, yeah, it's, it's just a sensory experience that I've never been able to shake. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, yeah that's a great, a great one. one. <laughs> okay. Well, surprise, surprise. We all picked different films. <laughs> The one that I'm going to go with is from the 2011 film Take Shelter. 2011, I think, was a really especially strong year for cinema. Um, this was and this was definitely, you know, among them. The film is kind of about uh, it's about this man who seems to be suffering, or at least at the onset of some kind of mental illness, perhaps schizophrenia. It's not quite spelled out. But it's about more, I think it's about even more than that in terms of like his responsibilities that he feels as a man, his responsibilities to his family and all the anxieties that come with those things. It's all kind of mixed together in this, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like a family drama, sometimes a thriller, but it definitely has moments that I would say where it goes into full on horror. Mm -hmm. um, especially in these dream sequences that our main character, Curtis, who's played by Michael Shannon, is having throughout the movie. Uh, the one in particular that I want to spotlight, it's one of the later dream sequences in the film in which he and his daughter are in a truck. He's driving along and there's and it's just raining. It's pouring to the point where the windows are totally opaque and the windshield wipers seem to be doing almost nothing. So they're driving through just like almost this white void. And all of a sudden we see a figure in the road. We see him swerve to avoid it, a crash. There's a brief cut to black. Mm -hmm. And then we see the two of them. We see this father and his daughter in this truck in that kind of weird space you are after a traumatic event. And all of a sudden we have people's hands just rocket through the windows and start grabbing both of them. Oh, God. Wow. So you see, like, these hands grab his daughter and start to pull her out of the window. These other hands grab him and are kind of, he's kind of struggling. And as this is happening, you see him start to wake up. And what I think is interesting is you see a lot of these kinds of scenes where you get this, this nightmare that kind of climaxes and then you get the wake up as a release from that. But that's not what Jeff Nichols and his editors do in this scene. What they do is they actually splice together the scene of him attempting fighting to wake up and mm -hmm. him still in the dream wrestling with this figure. Interesting. Cutting those scenes together. And really what it does is it prolongs the dream and it almost starts to seem like the dream is spilling out into mm -hmm. the reality that the film has established. And that for me is really unsettling mm -hmm. because – 
on the one hand, it's very relatable. I think we've had that where like when we have a nightmare and we're struggling to wake up from it. So it, it captures that very effectively through the editing. But it also works re- very much for the film in which these kind of like abstract horrors are just haunting this man. And even like even in even in the what should be the release of waking up, he can't totally free himself. Mm hmm. And so it starts to feel like these worlds are colliding, and and that's really terrifying. So for a film that I don't know if I would say is a horror film, I think it definitely has scenes that absolutely would fit that bill. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying before, Noah, about how you you feel like you might be – like if you go into a horror movie, you kind of feel like you're primed for that. Mm-hmm. I think especially in films that are not strictly horror, when they do give into that impulse – they stand out that much more. So I think that there's definitely something to say. I mean, when I was thinking of moments for this list, I thought of a bunch of moments that weren't even from horror movies, but were from like thrillers or things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Yeah, no, I tend to find that stuff way more terrifying. Yeah. So uh, that's my moment. Yeah, it's a good one. Still terrified thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to quick give an honorable mention to a scene from Annihilation. I didn't want to go into Mm. depth about it because I just feel like it's a movie that not enough people have seen yet. And this would kind of be a spoiler, but all I'm going to say is there's a scene involving a bear and a woman's scream and it just, it's terrifying and chilling and just deeply disturbing. Uh, (laughs) If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whoever thought that up is just, that's, I don't want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> Fair enough. That was one of those things where when it happened, I was like, I don't ever want to see that again. No. It's and yet <laughs> I did. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a mini episode of Cinema Joe's, where we discuss the less significant topics in movie culture. I am Justin, here with Alex and Noah, and today we'll be discussing some of our favorite scary movie moments. These are the moments that terrified us in some way. Um, They don't have to be, strictly speaking, from a horror film, but I think the one criterion is just that they scared the pants off of us. So I think that's that's what we're looking for here. So with that in mind, uh, Noah, why don't you start us off? Well, I am not a horror aficionado like at all. So I had to really, really do a lot of digging. I, I tried to look at moments where I genuinely felt scared and not just like suspenseful or like thrilled in the sense of like, oh my God, this is a really intense scene. I'm not that much of like a scare person. So I went through, I sat down with my wife and I was like, come here, help me. I have to figure out some (laughs) sort of answer for this. Went through all my past top 10 lists and I'm like, wow, none of these are like, none of these movies work. I mean, even an example like Get Out, I went into it knowing it was a horror movie and expecting it to be a horror movie. So I I didn't respond to the way that I think like uh, you're supposed to typically respond to a horror movie. I just react differently to that sort of movies. So I tried to pick up of a noticeable moment in recent years where I genuinely felt like I I felt a real genuine fear uh, for the characters because I truly could not suss out what was happening in the moment and what was going on. And the sequence that stood out to my mind, and it's a movie that you were both very familiar with, 
Alex, I think, was the first one ever to mention it on the podcast. The movie is Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart. And spoiler alert now for Personal Shopper. So Kristen Stewart is working for, like, I guess it's an actress? Yes. Like some uh, a high-end so. actress slash... She's like a socialite. Yeah, like a high-end actress slash model slash fashion person, whatever, in upper-class Europe. And... At the same time, she's there's this subplot where like she her brother has passed away, and we find out that she and her brother were obsessed with like the occult and the supernatural and contacting the dead. And there's been this running thing in the movie where she gets these she's getting these messages that claim to be from her brother, but we've ne- that's never really gone anywhere. But then in, halfway through the movie, it takes an incredible turn, and here's where the spoiler alert comes in. She goes into the super fancy apartment where her employer lives. Uh, because she has a key to, to come and go as she needs with all the many clothes that she buys because she's a personal shopper, hence the title. And she finds out that her boss has been pretty brutally murdered and there's someone still in the apartment. So she flees, but as she's fleeing and heading back to her apartment and then when she gets into her apartment, she starts getting these messages that, again, she's assumed up till now are from her brother. But the messages become more and more penetrating and more and more stalkerish. And it's become like it becomes screamingly obvious that it's not her brother. It's someone, anyone like at that point in the movie, we have literally no idea who or what or why. And this whole sequence of her going into her employee's apartment all the way up to the resolution of the scene in her apartment was one of the most consistently tense and gripping and engaging moments of any film that I've seen over the past few years. And not only that, like not only was it tense and gripping and like, do it, did I appreciate it from a filmmaking standpoint? I was genuinely scared the entire time because I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like the whole film has just been flipped on its head. I have no idea what's going on and what's going to happen to her and to the other characters and who's what. That, that was one of those rare moments where looking back, like I was feeling a genuine sense of terror. Which even in a lot of like quote unquote horror movies, even really good horror movies like Hereditary or The Babadook, I wouldn't necessarily say that in the moment of experiencing the movie, I feel terror. I would actually say that I'm less likely to feel that if I know it's a horror movie because then like my psyche is sort of prepped for it. Whereas if the movie is not explicitly a horror movie and then suddenly like this come out of nowhere sequence comes in like that, it's going to have a bigger effect on me because I wasn't because I'm not prepared for it. Yeah, texts from a murderous ghost is a really good idea that should come up more often in movies. <laughs> this is very effective. But, like, done well. <laughs> and her fear is so palpable in that sequence, but yet it's not, like, it doesn't necessarily bubble to the surface, Like it's it's, but it's still palpable, which I think is a real <clears> credit <throat> to the kind of actor that Kristen Stewart is it's very internal but still very palpable and yeah I think her being at the center of that scene really adds a lot Alex let's go to you for your scary movie moment okay so my scary movie moment also happens in a weird European set art film <laughs> this is in a movie from 2013 uh, by Jonathan Glazer called Under the Skin starring Scarlett Johansson <laughs> All right, as yeah. Like an alien, I guess, who's come down to Earth under the in the guise of a very attractive woman to uh, seduce men into becoming abducted. I guess that's the part where it gets kind of crazy and weird, and that's the scene that I'm yeah. thinking of, which is just so crazy effective for me. She is Scarlett Johansson. She's dressed like 
Scarlett Johansson looks like Scarlett Johansson. Uh, she has like an alien living underneath her skin that like you can't see, um, in the beginning of the movie. And she's just driving around in a truck trying to pick up guys. And like, it's very nefarious and kind of like, what is going on? And then finally she like gets one of them to go home with her and she has them walk into her apartment and her part, like her apartment is just now it's basically like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. It just like doesn't conform to space or time in any way. And, uh, it's just like this giant, like black space with like a water, like with water on the floor that, and the man is just totally naked and she's standing there and he starts walking up to her and he just starts in like this trance and just descends into the water. And it's so bizarre and so overwhelming to the senses. You're just, just like, it's so shocking because number one, you're just not used to seeing nudity used like that in a film. And it's, there's like no mm-hmm. emotionality to it, but it's so hypnotic and confusing. And just like, it just got under, like literally it got under my skin. I uh, know pun intended. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like, I've never been able to shake the feeling that I felt in that moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's properly scared, but it's something even deeper than scared. It was just mm-hmm. incredibly disconcerting. And yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely the most yeah. off put I've been from a movie. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, no, that's a great one. That was, that was one of the ones I was thinking of. I was mm. un, under the skin was like, was up there in the films that I was like, ah, I could take something from that. Yeah. There's something about the surrender in that scene. Just like this inevitability of approaching mm. your doom with nothing to prevent you. And just he's descending yeah. into nothingness. And I love his eyes never leave her, though. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> even as he's just submerged, like, you yeah. can still see his eyes poking out before his head goes under. It's just like this yeah, moment of just really... like intense, like, vulnerability and just infatuation and just all consuming. And it just has this overbearing Literally. feeling of evilness <laughs> to it. Like the score is just so mm-hmm. ominous and it just, yeah, it's, it's just a sensory experience that I've never been able to shake. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's, yeah that's a great, a great one. one. <laughs> okay. Well, surprise, surprise. We all picked different films. <laughs> the one that I'm going to go with is from the 2011 film, Take Shelter. 2011, I think, was a really especially strong year for cinema. Um, This was and this was definitely, you know, among them. The film is kind of about uh, it's about this man who seems to be suffering, at least at the onset of some kind of mental illness, perhaps schizophrenia. It's not quite spelled out. But it's about more, I think it's about even more than that in terms of like his responsibilities that he feels as a man, his responsibilities to his family and all the anxieties that come with those things. It's all kind of mixed together in this, uh, I guess, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of like a family drama, sometimes a thriller, but it definitely has moments that I would say where it goes into full on horror. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in these dream sequences that our main character, Curtis, who's played by Michael Shannon, is having throughout the movie. Uh, the one in particular that I want to spotlight, it's one of the later dream sequences in the film in which he and his daughter are in a truck. He's driving along and there's and it's just raining. It's pouring to the point where the windows are totally opaque and the windshield wipers seem to be doing almost nothing. 
So they're driving through just like almost this white void. And all of a sudden we see a figure in the road. We see him swerve to avoid it, a crash. There's a brief cut to black. Mm-hmm. And then we see the two of them. We see this father and his daughter in this truck in that kind of weird space you are after a traumatic event. And all of a sudden we have people's hands just rocket through the windows and start grabbing both of them. Oh God. Wow. So you see like these hands grab his daughter and start to pull her out of the window. These other hands grab him and are kind of, he's kind of struggling. And as this is happening, you see him start to wake up. And what I think is interesting is you see a lot of these kinds of scenes where you get this, this nightmare that kind of climaxes and then you get the wake up as a release from that. But that's not what Jeff Nichols and his editors do in this scene. What they do is they actually splice together the scene of him attempting fighting to wake up and mm-hmm. him still in the dream wrestling with this figure. Interesting. Cutting those scenes together. And really what it does is it prolongs the dream and it almost starts to seem like the dream is spilling out into mm-hmm. the reality that the film has established. And that for me is really unsettling mm-hmm. because – on the one hand, it's very relatable. I think we've had that where like when we have a nightmare and we're struggling to wake up from it. So it, it captures that very effectively through the editing. But it also works re- very much for the film in which these kind of like abstract horrors are just haunting this man. And even like even in even in the what should be the release of waking up, he can't totally free himself. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to feel like these worlds are colliding. And, and that's really terrifying. So for a film that I don't, no, if I would say is a horror film, I think it definitely has scenes that absolutely would fit that bill. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying before, Noah, about how you're you feel like you might be like if you go into a horror movie, you kind of feel like you're primed for that. Mm-hmm. I think especially in films that are not strictly horror, when they do give into that impulse, they stand out that much more. So I think that there's definitely something to say. I mean, when I was thinking of moments for this list, I thought of a bunch of moments that weren't even from horror movies, but were from like thrillers or things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Yeah, no, I tend to find that stuff way more terrifying. Yeah. So uh, that's my moment. Yeah, it's a good one. Still terrified thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to quick give an honorable mention to a scene from Annihilation. I didn't want to go into Mm. depth about it because I just feel like it's a movie that not enough people have seen yet. And this would kind of be a spoiler, but all I'm going to say is there's a scene involving a bear and a woman's scream and it just, it's terrifying and chilling and just deeply disturbing. Uh, (laughs) If you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whoever thought that up is just, that's, I don't want to be anywhere near them. <laughs> Fair enough. That was one of those things where when it happened, I was like, I don't ever want to see that again. No. And <laughs> yet I did. <laughs> yeah.